Morning Africa. Welcome to the Break Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Monday, July 18th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Kenya restores relations with Somalia. The people of Kenya and Somalia are tied at the hip. We are one people, one region, facing common challenges, and the only solution to those challenges is us working together. Sudanese renewed demonstrations on Sunday against military leader Abdel Fattah al-Burhan. Zambia extradites a Chinese children exploiter to Malawi. Guinea names an acting prime minister. And South Sudan is disappointed after the U.S. ends support for the country's prolonged peace process. It is imperative that the United States of America reconsider its position on this issue and return the funding of the peace implementation mechanism. Otherwise, there's no other way that South Sudan can turn into it. And we'll have a report on the causes of hunger in West Africa in 2021. Those stories plus Samsi O'Malley's posts are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Kenya has rekindled its relationship with Somalia following successful bilateral talks in Nairobi. President Uhuru Kiyanta and his Somalia counterpart, President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed, have agreed to work together as flights between the two states that have not been operational for almost two years resume. Maureen Ojiambo reports from Nairobi. The two-day visit by Somalia's President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud has ended on a positive note after the two heads of state agreed to tackle several issues between Kenya and Somalia. During his first term as the President of Somalia, Mahmoud sued Kenya at the International Court of Justice in 2014, where the two states wrangled over a piece of land in the Indian Ocean that is said to be rich in oil and other natural resources. That case was determined last year in favor of Somalia. However, Kenya said it will not obey the verdict. Speaking in Nairobi, President Uhuru Kenyatta said that Kenya will have to cooperate with Somalia to ensure the two states trade peacefully. That the people of Kenya and Somalia are tied at the hip. We are one people, one region, facing common challenges. And the only solution to those challenges is us working together. We have agreed on security cooperation. We have agreed that we are both facing the challenge of a fourth consecutive year of drought and again the need for us to work together to ensure that we are able to assist those most affected by this drought. Kenya will have its airline Kenya Airways fly directly to Mogadishu as well as resuming its multi-million shilling Mira or cut trade which President Mohamud had banned in his first term. Kenyatta says frequent dialogues will be held to solve the issues that the two states are facing. We did agree in the spirit of cooperation that we shall be having regular interactions between officials of our two countries and that dialogue, discussion, negotiation is undoubtedly the surest way of ensuring that we are able to move forward peacefully and resolving uh, issues. Mohamud's return to power has seen relations between two countries improve and diplomatic channels reactivated. President Mohamud says Somalia would remain an open market for Kenya and that Somalia will ensure peace with its neighbors. My government is committed to repair relations between the two countries 
the common challenges we have is not limited to terrorism, but there are so many other challenges we need to make sure that we address in a proper manner. Somalia has many challenges, and I'm glad to hear His Excellency's commitment that Kenya will further increase the level of cooperation, the level of support given to Somalia. Kenya and Somalia have long had strained relationships even during the first tenure of President Mahmoud that accelerated into the last regime of President Mohamed Farmajo. It is yet to be established if the measures put in place to restore the diplomatic ties will bear fruit. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jambo in Nairobi, Kenya. The spokesperson for South Sudan, President Salva Kiir, says his country is disappointed that the United States has chosen to end its support for the country's prolonged peace process. The State Department announced last Friday that the U.S. was ending its support for the peace process because of lack of sustained progress on the part of South Sudanese leaders. Presidential spokesperson Atain Wakatain tells me that much progress has been made, including formation of the unified command structure, a timetable to graduate soldiers in the training camps, and a constitution-making process that is on the way. My reaction is that uh, it is quite unfortunate for the American government to switch off the live machine for the revitalized peace agreement on the resolution of conflict in the country. As the America is uh, the super power, and at the same time the police of the world, I thought it was uh, within their mandate to support peace initiative in the country of South Sudan, so that people of South Sudan get the permanent peace. And already the implementation has gone to the level of uh, coming to uh, the full implementation of the agreement. But let me stop you, sir. I think the key phrase used by the State Department is that there's a lack of sustained progress. So, Tell me if you said that the implementation is is in progress. What significant progress have you made after so many years? The progress that has been made, yes, although the, uh, you know, it it is quite significant. Although, you know, the implementations, you know, was running a bit late, particularly some chapters were running uh, late. The significant uh, progress has been made so far as the unified command has already been established and uh, the forces are almost being graduated. This is a quite significant. In order for United States to stop the funding for peace monitoring mechanism, at this crucial time, that means the American wanted peace not to move on from there and then. So it is imperative that the United States of America reconsider its positions on this issue and return the funding of the peace implementation mechanism. Otherwise, there is no other way that South Sudan can turn into it. We know that peace agreement itself has been underfunded. It has been the government of South Sudan that was left alone by the partners to be the one implementing it. Yes, we are accepting implementing that. And we have done the best what we can do. But the peace implementation mechanism requires funding from outside. But even, sir, the reconstituted Joint Monetary and Evaluation Commission said in its latest report that the transitional unity government made little progress. But for Americans to stop the funding at this crucial time uh, is quite disappointing. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Atain Wek Atain is spokesperson for South Sudan President Salva Kiir. You are speaking with me from the South Sudan capital, Juba. Sudanese took to the streets across the capital Khartoum on Sunday in renewed demonstrations against military leader 
Abdel Fattah El Burhan and his October 25th coup that torpedoed the democratic transition process. Reporter Michael Atid in the capital Khartoum tells me there was massive deployment of security forces across the capital Khartoum using tear gas to disperse protesters. This is one of the series of the protests that began in Sudan for long, demanding the military authority in the country to step down and allow the civilian government to be formed in the country. We understand they suspended the, all the activities of protest during the art house activity for at least one week. So the Sunday's protest in Sudan, in Khartoum and other cities uh, was the first protest after the festivities. In the past, these protests have been marred by massive security forces reaction. So what was the reaction of the police or security forces this time? The security were deployed actually the day before, since the announcement was made earlier. Around the government installations, essential institutions, there were heavy deployment of the security forces. And as I said, the bridges linking the three cities together, some of them were blocked uh, before the protesters. So in Khartoum, where I am, security forces actually used tear gas and other ordinances you know, to prevent protesters from accessing the, the palace. Up to late evening Sunday, we could not get any reaction or any reports from the medical sources about the injuries or whether there are somebody being killed during the protest. What can you tell us, uh, Michael, about the developments in the Blue Nile region of uh, Sudan, where we understand there was troop deployment? It is actually an intercommunal crisis. started on Friday evening between ethnic communities in Blue Nile, and it continued the following day, which is Saturday and also Sunday. And according to the medical sources from Blue Nile in Damazine and Rosetus Town, at least 65 people have so far been killed. That is according to the report of the medics on Sunday evening. And um, hundreds have actually been displaced from their houses. And there are also reports of uh, looting in the markets and shops in those areas. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on Daybreak Africa. You're welcome, James. Thank you. That was reporter Michael Atid speaking with us from the Sudanese capital, Khartoum. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Monday, July 18th. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley's Sports. Authorities in Zambia have extradited a Chinese citizen who fled Malawi last month over accusations of selling exploitative videos to China of Malawi children. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre, Malawi. Police in Malawi told VOA Sunday that their counterparts in Zambia handed over key to them Saturday night in the Nkinji district, which borders Zambia. Harry Namaz is the deputy spokesperson for Malawi Police Service. He is in police custody. He, he was handed over by our friends from Zambia. Uh, so now he has been charged with trafficking in pesos. But the other charges may be added. Loki fled Malawi last month where police were searching for him after a British Broadcasting Corporation investigation found he was recording young villagers in central Malawi and making them say racist things about themselves in Mandarin. 
in one video, children as young as nine years of age are heard saying in Mandarin that they are a black monster and they have a low IQ. The BBC reported he was selling the videos at about 70 US dollars apiece to a Chinese website. The kids performing in the videos were paid about half a dollar each. The news sparked outrage in Malawi, forcing various rights organizations to hold street protests and present a petition to the Chinese embassy in the capital, Ilongwe. Comfort Mankwazi is the president of the University of Malawi Child Rights Legal Clinic, which led the protests. She told VOA Sunday that she's happy with the extradition. Because we feel like this is just one of those things that we had in our petition, what we wanted, and we've got that. We truly hope that um, this extradition and this arrest will lead to something big, such as his prosecution in our courts, and that finally those victims um, will be able to get the justice that they deserve. There were no official comments from Chinese authorities on the extradition of Lu Qi as of Sunday. However, police spokesperson Namazam said Lu Qi is expected to appear in court soon. Lamik Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. Guinea's military junta has chosen an acting prime minister, while Prime Minister Mohamed Biavogi is out of the country for unspecified reasons. Fayemi Limuno is the leader of the Liberal Bloc Party of Guinea. He tells me the Prime Minister Biavogi is in Rome, Italy, for medical reasons. Milimuno says the junta appointed Prime Minister Bernard Gomu to carry on the important work that Prime Minister Biavogi was doing for Guinea's transition process. The junta has uh, appointed the acting prime minister, who is uh, actually the minister of commerce, industry, and uh, small businesses. It's because uh, the prime minister, Mr. Eyaluki Mohammed, is actually on medical leave. He went to Roma in Italy to have a checkup. So he may be spending about two weeks before coming back to Guinea. And uh, given the situation that he uh, is in the middle of all the negotiations, the junta has decided to appoint an acting prime minister so that uh, there is no interruption with uh, what uh, uh, Mr. Mohamed Biavogi has just started. Tell me, you said that Biavogi has been conducting dialogue between the political parties. How has that dialogue been going? Because we understand there's been some disagreement or friction. How is it going? Look, here in Guinea, there are some actors who have uh, the tendency to think that uh, if they have to participate to those uh, negotiations or to that dialogue, uh, Mr. Mohamed Deavogi has to be in charge which is uh, actually the standard. Nobody has contested the authority of the Prime Minister to direct those negotiations. But there are people who want to take it personal. When it is about negotiations about Guinea, we cannot say, okay, if this person is not in charge of the negotiation, as a political actor or civil society actor, I'm not going to participate. It's not a kind of attitude one would recommend when we talk about uh, building the foundation of our country. 
ECOWAS at their last meeting this month, they turned down the military junta's request for a three-year transition period. I know we spoke before, and you think that, uh, that ECOWAS doesn't seem to understand what's happening in Guinea. Is there any connection between Biavogi's uh, departure and this whole transition process? We can assume that uh, everything is uh, connected, everything is uh, relative, because uh, when the ECOWA has stated that uh, it is not going to recognize the three-year transitional period in Guinea, and they appointed a mediator who happened to be the former president of Benin, what we can say is for ECOWA to wait until the mediator they have appointed come to Guinea and uh, listen to all the stakeholders. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, and uh, have a good day in Washington. Fayami Limuno is the leader of the Liberal Bloc Party of Guinea. You are speaking with us from the capital, Kunakri. Up to 828 million people were hungry in 2021, according to a new report from the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. Oxfam's humanitarian advocacy manager for West Africa, Amelie Gauthier-Campbell, tells Ricky Stryer that one contributing factor to hunger is wealth disparity in the global food distribution system. You know, one of the, the major problems is not so much that there's a food shortages, but it's more, the problem is more about a broken food system. There's been, you know, failures over the years of non-investing in small-scale agriculture. There's been crisis of uh, inequality and being, people being impoverished and not being able to produce their own food. On the other hand, there's also been these food billionaires who are making billions and billions, so like more than 380 billions over the last year um, in the in the food distribution and in, in producing uh, channels. So what we, I mean, what we recommend is that there is greater investments from the governments into the small-scale uh, producers and farmers in West Africa. We also asked that to the African governments that also took an engagement back in 2012 to invest at least 10% of their national gov- uh, budget to uh, small-scale agriculture and permit those people to actually uh, continue to, to have a livelihood, uh, to be more resilient towards the climate change, and also to improve the trade because there is still some, um, some residual uh, consequences of the COVID pandemic measures, restriction measures. In addition to COVID, what uh, have been the impacts of climate crises in the regions? The impacts of of climate, for example, for West Africa, this is a a region in the world that is more affected by the the rise of temperatures. And it is also less prepared or more vulnerable to these changes. So, for instance, there is the degradation of the land. Um, people are also faced with an increased number of uh, extreme weather events. So that means that there's more drought, more flooding, more erratic rain. So they're less able to, to plan and to, and to farm um, and to make sure that they have, you know, the, the, the optimal kind of like uh, production and harvesting. On top of that, in West Africa, a lot of the countries are faced with conflict. 
and this affects a lot of the livelihood of the population. Have there been any positive developments in specific areas over the past year, for example? First of all, for women, which are a large part of these, uh, the population that is that is farming, they usually have less rights. So they don't have access to, to land like men do. They don't have the same uh, rights on inheritance, so they don't have access to that inherited land. They don't have access to, for example, small loans that could help them reinitiate buying seeds, buying uh, fertilizers, buying uh, equipment to be able to, to work their land. So these are all things, for example, to, that could be a priority both for governments, for donors, and how we implement our, our programs. That was Amelie Gutierrez Campbell, Oxfam's humanitarian advocacy manager for West Africa. She was speaking to Ricky Stryak from Spain. Stand on for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is something Omali in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, something. Good Monday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports in Southern Africa, where the Regional Council of Southern Africa Football Association Cup Tournament was concluded on Sunday. Zambia claimed a record-equaling sixth Kosafa Cup title after a 1-0 victory over Namibia in a thrilling final at the iconic Moses Mabida Stadium in Durban, bringing to a close another superb regional championship on Sunday. Chipolo Polo of Zambia claimed their winner in extra time as Albert Kawanda's 35-yard shot rebounded off the post and onto Namibia goalkeeper Edward Muava before finding its way into the net for an unfortunate own goal. In women football news, the semi-finals of the 2022 Women African Cup of Nations will be played later on today. At the start moment of five, the couple queens of Zambia will take on Bayana Bayana of South Africa. Bruce Wape, the Zambia coach, said the South African derby is not only to be played but to be won. This is uh, a game that we need to put in more effort because uh, South Africa knows us, they know, they know us better. We have played them several times and we, we know them as well. So to me it will be like uh, playing a, a final before the actual final. For her part, Banyana Banyana coach Destry Ellis said having qualified for the World Cup, their next target is to win the African Cup of Nations. Uh, we've played Zambia on many occasions. Um, I think they know uh, as much as we know about them, they know of us. But if we execute our plan, we will come away with a positive result. The second semi-final on Monday is a late kickoff at the start Prince Mole Abdallah hosts the Atlas Lionesses of Morocco who play defending champions Super Falcons of Nigeria. A Super Falcons coach Randy Wardrum and Falcons player Ngozi Nkobi both agreed that the match against the Moroccans will be a difficult one, especially playing in front of their home fans. Players did a great job in taking care of their bodies after the match and we're looking forward to um, to the match on Monday evening. Yeah, like my coach just said, we've had like a lot of time to get ready for the next one because everyone had differences of how, how they recover. Everyone has recovered for the game, so we're good to go. In athletics, Ugandan's Joshua Chiptegei delivered a masterclass of on-panic front running to retain the men's world 10,000 meters title in Oregon 
on Sunday to clock a winning time of 27 minutes 27.43 seconds. Kenya's Stanley Wataka Mburu claimed silver in 27 minutes 27.90 seconds with another Ugandan Jacob Kiplimo taking bronze in 27 minutes 27.97 seconds in an unusually close finish. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, July 18th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for starting your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Copy. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I'm James Butte in Washington, wishing you will have a great week.